Navigating the Datascape with Warner Chavez and special guests. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Datascape. My name is Warner Chavez, and I have today with me two very distinguished gentlemen all the way from Brazil, Fabiano Amorim and Luan Moreno Maciel. Uh, great colleagues. They are experts in the field and really excited to discuss with them today what we just saw at the Ignite Fall 2021 virtual conference in this uh, just last week. Uh, we're recording this November 5th, 2021. So Ignite just finished a couple of days ago. How are you, Fabiano? If you want to do just a quick intro for the audience as well. All right. Yeah. Thank you for having me, Warner. It's a pleasure talking to you guys again. And uh, my name is Fabiano. As Warner mentioned, I'm based in Brazil and working as a project engineer, working with the databases and cloud stuff for a while. Looking forward for all the news on next version of SQL. Uh, and yeah, looking forward for the talk. A lot all of right. things to cover, interesting things. Yeah, there's always a big bucket of uh, announcements at, the, at these conferences. And uh, we also have Luan as well. Luan, if you want to do a quick intro for the audience as well. Yeah, sure. Uh, first, uh, thanks for having me on the show. It's a pleasure to, to, to be here for the first time. Second, I work as a project engineer in the same team as Fabiano, which is a good luck for me. Uh, and yeah, I'm more focused on the big data spectrum of the, uh, of the things, just working more closely with Microsoft Azure uh, technologies and just solving tough problems for customers. Absolutely. All right. So let's, let's get going. So Ignite 2021, this uh, show obviously called the data escape. So we are going to focus on the data related announcements. Uh, the list of stuff that we're going to cover today is not exhaustive. Obviously, there's a ton of other announcements for anybody that's listening and wants to see the entire list. Go ahead and check out the Azure blog where Microsoft pretty much posted all throughout this week of November 1st to November 5th. Uh, all of the blog posts are about the new announcements done at Ignite. Okay, but let's focus on the biggest announcement, I guess, of the show, especially for the data aficionados, is uh, SQL Server 2022 being announced by Microsoft. So interestingly as well, uh, if everybody remembers, right after SQL 2016 came out, then we saw SQL 2017 back-to-back -back releases because it was the release of SQL being able to run on Linux. And then we saw a two-year cycle, 2019. And then a lot of people were asking for a long time, Microsoft, that you're going to release SQL 2021, right? Expecting a two-year cycle. Looks like we're getting a three-year cycle this time, and we're going to have 2022. So Fabiano, I know you are a big um, performance nut. So you are one of our best uh, SQL Server performance tuners. And I know that they did mention some big performance improvements for 2022. So let's let's walk through that for the audience and let's uh, let's see what what can we look forward to in the performance arena for this release. Okay, yeah. And yeah, as usual, um, there are a lot of new performance improvements. Uh, there are new features and some of the enhancements and improvements into the existing features. And um, I would start by saying that um, it's obvious that Microsoft is really pushing us to the cloud as always and has expected. So 
a lot of the improvements are related to somehow the on-premise addition to you could benefit from something out of the cloud integrations and uh, disaster recovery and high availability and things like that. And it is expected that um, they are going to push even further with those um, migrations and, and et cetera. But um, one of the things that I really, really liked is that um, they are improving the intelligent query processing features. They started to implement those improvements in the query optimizer back, I think, in SQL 16. And um, now they're expanding it to use Query Store as a feedback mechanism to provide more information um, into a query execution time, uh, max degree, parallelism, and um, even the memory grant and the memory usage for a query. And then based on the information that is stored in the query store, they're trying to improve the execution plans that uh, are being used. So I would highlight three things that I really liked. Uh, uh, one, query store is enabled by default in new databases. So um, I'm not sure if that's the best option for all the workloads. I have seen some workloads um, with the overhead of Cruise Store to be something to concern. So some of the workloads in the would highlight workloads with a lot of ad hoc queries might have a, um, a, a very big overhead because of the Cruise Store. So, um, but based on the Cruise Store, now what they are improving is that the intelligent query processing feature is that they are improving the existing memory grant feedback algorithms to persist one plan. It's kind of obscure for me how they're doing it internally. Uh, that's one feature. Uh, the other one is that they are also using Query Store to kind of have the same feedback on the MaxDOP and on the cardinality estimation model. So it looks like, based on the query store, they might decide to change the execution plan to use the legacy cardinal estimation uh, compared to the new one. So that's a very, very interesting feature because there are a lot of queries that uh, we know that have the plan regression problems and the uh, legacy cardinal estimation. It's uh, one of the database scope configurations that people are usually using to fix it. So, and so it would be good to have kind of automatic Automatic, automatic. So just, just on this one. give you just to pause right here for a sec for the people that are not super familiar with it. Uh, query store obviously is, is the uh, feature of SQL Server that saves your query plans and and the stats of your execution so that you can compare them over time, right? And that, so the difference here is that previously the the intelligence or the feedback was done through plans that were cached in the memory of the server, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Mm -hmm. So the moment yeah. that you restarted the server, you lost that feedback, quote unquote. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. So now it's going to yeah. be persisted through query store so that the, let's say, the, the feedback or the, the learnings that SQL Server has done on that performance will be, you know, uh, will live through a restart, right? Or even through yeah. a restore of the database then, right? Or, or even into a most more common thing, which is the plain cache being cleaned up for some reason, maybe an internal memory pressure, right? Yeah, or, or somebody just like uh, 
recompile something or the stats get yeah. updated, et cetera, et cetera, right? And yeah, the yeah, exactly. new plans are generated. Yeah, yeah. this is, uh, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, I, I, I guess we all kind of figured out back when Query Store was first released was 2016, I believe, right? Um, yep. It was like a V1 and it just opened the door for more and more automatic tuning, right? First, we have, mm -hmm. uh, I think it's 2019, where it enabled the um, automatic plan regression, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, and now we're adding even more more intelligence to it, right? So it's storing the feedback and keeping it um, over, over different uh, restarts of the instances or a restore of the database or, or any recycle of the plan cache, all that information will still be available. So it should be yeah. one of those features. I like these types of features that are like, they're free to get the benefit, right? Yeah. It's like you it's, just have to upgrade and that's it. It's you know, zero code, code change. Yeah, exactly. Yes. You don't have to change the code. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to enable uh, some sort of new thing on the table or something. It's just going to mm -hmm. work. I like those those type of features. All right. Do we yeah. have anything else in the performance arena? Yeah, there's one that um, they they highlighted, and then Bob Ward actually did a demonstration, with, which is the parameter-sensitive plan optimization. So the parameter sniffing problem is a very common situation when you have a plan that was created to process uh, a few rows or a lot of rows, and then you call the same query or star procedure, and now that you have to process the the otherwise, so less rows or more rows, and then you end up with a plan that is cached and being reused to do something that is not really supposed to do now. And and the, the, the most common thing that people usually do to fix it is just recompile the, the star procedure and use the option recompile, for instance, in the statement. And then you would have to pay for the recompilation for each execution of the star procedure. And now they are pretty much uh, saving multiple plans for the same star procedure with different parameters. And then depending on the parameter you're using, they are reusing one plan or the other. Uh, again, it's not really clear how many plans they're going to save, how many calls do you have to have to be able to reuse that plan and then maybe change the plan later in the future. Um, do, after you change the number of rows in the table, would it be auto cleaned up? and uh, another plan would be cached. Um, but um, yeah, it looks like a, another really interesting optimization. Then again, the, the most benefit in my opinion is that it's zero code change to be able to um, use those features. So it's pretty much change the compatibility level and then you're good to go with the mm -hmm. new and faster queries. And, and this is a very, very common problem. Right? We see it all the time with people with parameter yeah. sniffing where uh, the most common case, people just open a ticket with uh, with uh, services and they say, hey, DBA, this query was running great and it suddenly got slower. I was like, eh, it's probably it's probably a bad plan. <laughs> it's probably yeah. a bad plan that's in the cache, right? That's usually yeah. not not yeah. a big surprise. So that's the another one. Another one that's nice is the you just just upgrade and get the and get the goodies. So that's another yeah. good one. All right, yeah. anything else we got? And the uh, still under the cruise store, there are two other things that they finally, after a lot of requests, enable the support for the read-only replicas. Oh, okay, so, that's a good one. Yeah, all right. Yeah, we will finally be able to enable cruise store into our read-only replica 
and then capture the workload, which is completely different than the primary yeah. uh, uh, server, right? Yeah. And and then um, another thing that I implemented in the, under the CrewStar as well is the CrewStar hints. This is actually already available on the SQL Azure database, but um, it's an easy way of force something based on the query that it's in the crew store. We, okay. we could still do a similar thing using the plan guides, but uh, it's not that straightforward. Uh, it was a bit complicated. There well, it were makes some sense to integrate into query store too, right? Like not have a split uh, into what you can do with plan guides. They should just mm -hmm. retire plan guides at this point then. Um, I'm not sure if there's anything left that you can do with a plan guide that you can't do with query store then. Or, but uh, you know, they yeah. might keep them. Yeah. They'll keep them forever for backwards compatibility because once <laughs> once they release something, they can't take it out of the product, right? It takes forever. There's some uh, there's some of those yeah. pages that Microsoft has marked for deprecation since like SQL 2005, and they're still, you know, yeah, they're still yeah. there. So yeah, I wouldn't exactly. be too worried about that. All right, what else do we got in the 2022 package? All right, so they do have some enhancements into the existing features. Um, one that I think it's important to highlight is the TempDB in-memory system tables. Um, they still have a few things and bugs, I would say, with the in-memory TempDB system tables. So just to recap, if you create and drop a lot of temp tables uh, at the same time, then you would have a contention, internal contention into the system tables. And to fix it in SQL 19, they uh, recreated the, the system tables as the in-memory tables. And then you're pretty much using the latch-free benefits of the in-memory technologies into the existing tables. Um, but they're improving it. Hopefully, they're fixing some of the bugs that we find in uh, one of our clients. And um, they're actually scanning the buffer pool in parallel now. Uh, I guess that would be a big benefit for environments with a lot of memory. Um, I have seen that SQL is, um, doesn't do doesn't work well with environments with more than one terabyte of memory. We always have to adjust one thing here and there to be able to really use uh, the whole memory in an efficient way. So this is an improvement to be able to move to bigger single server architectures, right? So just move to the machines now that can fit two terabytes, four terabytes of RAM and uh, built in some of the core pieces of the code in SQL Server were not built with the idea that they would be working with, you know, four terabytes of memory records, right? So, yeah. so to your point, buffer pool scanning means that SQL is, is scanning all the data that it currently holds in RAM and back when I guess SQL Server was just working with four gigs of RAM, then it wasn't mm -hmm. a big deal. But now yeah. that it's working with four terabytes, it's the process was built to run on a single core, and that's no longer acceptable, right? So this is why we need to have parallel buffer scans now, right? Yeah, yeah. There's another feature that I think I'm really looking forward to have more information that they call the multi-write replications with oh i saw this i saw this yes yes but yeah. so i saw it so multi-writer replication and the idea is to have the last writer wins yeah. um as opposed to peer-to-peer -peer replication the conflict resolution is, is is not really robust it just stops replicating and mm -hmm. so you needed to change the schema to support multiple regions writing at the same time right yeah 
my my main concern. I, I, I did see that one, and I have to say, uh, it sounds okay on paper, but it does not change the fact. As far as I could see, you guys can correct me if you saw something different. But as far as I could see, it's still peer-to-peer -peer replication under the covers. They it just is. are gonna change the conflict resolution mechanism to be yeah. able to deploy it more easily. However, I will say over the last 10 years, because peer-to-peer replication is not new, it's existed since what, SQL 2008, something like that. Um, mm -hmm. So the main issue with peer-to-peer -peer replication that people had was not, oh, I have to change the app to add like the region as a column to write so that I don't have um, uh, conflicts. The main issue is that it does not scale well, right? Under the covers, it's still replication. And once you start hitting it with a hard enough workload, they start to lag quite a bit, right? Because they have to keep tabs of the other peers in the replication, right? So uh, we'll have to try it out, I will say. I'm not, uh, I'm not super sure that it's really going to change the scalability if it just keeps using the same peer-to-peer -peer replication bits under the covers. But mm -hmm. um, but we'll see. We'll see. We'll have to definitely try it out once the bits are available. So I guess that's another question. Are the bits available now for download um, or not yet? No, not yet. And actually, someone asked Bob Ward about it. When we will be able to download it um, for the general availability of the, the, the bits? And then Of the preview, he, yeah. Yeah, the preview. He mentioned uh, his answer was, you are not ready yet to announce any dates. And okay. Yeah. So the right only, now you can download it and play it with it by yourself. Exactly. The only oh. option you have now is to just go to aka.ms slash EAP sign up. It's early adopters program. Sign up and then sign up for the the early adopters program and then hope they send you a link with the private okay. I see. I see. Uh, yeah. uh, installation all right so good good luck uh, <laughs> so um all right let's move on that's sql 22 there's a lot of stuff still to unpack so let's move on to okay so microsoft highlighted this feature um uh, again it's one of those that I, i'm wondering how much we're going to see adoption is there a real use case for this but now we have this uh, concept of a ledger table you want to walk us through that one yeah, the idea is pretty much that Ledger already exists, the, the feature already exists on Azure, and then they're pretty much ex expanding uh, the Ledger usage tables for on-premise SQL as well. Um, so the idea is to bring the whole power of uh, um, of uh, blockchain technologies into a SQL table. So I think it's going to be enabled per table object. Um, and the, the idea is to have the unchanged and um, secured version of the data and the whole history of the data. And then you could, because it's on premise, theoretically, you could back up it and restart it somewhere else and then have two versions of the same data. So they have to somehow guarantee that the data is not changed um, in, a, in another a backup restart of SQL. So it looks like an interesting, okay, uh, um, interesting. integration, but um, yeah, like you mentioned, I'm not sure if we. So we're talking about case. something that would be, you know, probably thinking about places that have to deal with highly, re highly regulated environments, compliance, auditing, yep. kind of thing, right? So it's a table where 
you can guarantee that no changes have been done to the content. I guess you can only insert because I mean, if you update or delete stuff from it, then yep, yep. what happens? Yeah, if right? you want to change, yeah, if you want to change <laughs> something, right. like you have you have a, a 100 value and you want to change it to 800, you would have to insert a new minus 20 to have the final of 80 in the okay, Yeah, in, so in the it's supposed to be insert only and, in, and there will be some sort of, I guess we don't really know yet, or maybe we do. I don't know if you've played around with it to, to figure out how does it certify that there hasn't been anything done to the table itself, right? Yeah, there must be know. some cryptographic thing uh, the, the, under the yeah, cover, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're definitely using um, some um, cryptographic. And I think the SQL Ledger um, product on Azure, I really, they, they have all the details um, on the which okay. algorithm of cryptographic they're using. Okay. Well, I guess I guess we'll see if it has adoption. I, I can see yeah. it, as, as I said, in just highly regulated environments, probably... Uh, the most clients I, I don't see that will probably have a use case for it since it sounds like a type of table mm -hmm. that will come with a lot of limitations on usage as well. Maybe we'll have to adapt applications, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And then another big one, I think this is the other big one that we heard during the show is, and this is something that people have been mentioning for a long time now, and it's finally getting um, Azure, VR, but as a pass service for the on-prem SQL Server. Can you walk mm -hmm. us through that? What, how does it look like under the covers? What is it doing? And actually, before we go to this big one, let me highlight three quick things on the backup improvements because I think the backup for some people exactly for some yeah, people right, I think right, that might sure. be useful. So uh, just like you do now for our backup to or URL and then backup your file into the blob storage. You'll be able to use S3 now. Oh, that's a big surprise! Yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's that other that's a format of that other company. Exactly the other one. Yeah, <laughs> and right. then uh, yeah, they are also improving the backups to do what they call the cross-platform snapshot backups, and it's kind of a snapshot backup. But usually on Windows, you kind of have to rely on the Windows volume. What what is the color? The shadow service. Yeah, exactly. The VSS. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And now we will be pretty much going to be able to do it through T-SQL. and that means you could take a snapshot and restart on Linux, or take a snapshot from the Linux uh, uh, SQL as well. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, and they they are also using what they call the Intel Quick Assist. Um, improvements, whatever that means, quick assist feature. And they had faster and better compression for the backups. Okay, so it must Intel be some feature. some Intel chipset improvements, maybe on like yeah. the actual chip level compression and stuff like that, yeah. just to, yeah. you know, drive it through hardware. Then if you have this particular Intel architecture on like the latest chips, then you'll mm -hmm. get this improvement on your backups. Okay, yeah. fair enough. Yeah, yeah. And then back to the, the HR, a and then dr replica to a managed instance now so um so it's pretty much I, i'm not really um the way they showed in the 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 event in the ignite is that uh, that's an awesome feature it's going to solve all your problems or the the dr problems if you don't have a dr uh, it's easy, just right click and go next, next, finish, and then you're done. You have a managed instance 
with a read-only replica of your database. And it looks fine, but I'm not really thrilled yet. And the main reason is that um, managed instance is too expensive, in my opinion. So okay. if people if people don't have already a high availability uh, solution, it, probably there's a reason. And usually the reason is that uh, it's too expensive to pay for another SQL instance, maybe another VM, or have another server. Um, so yeah, I think it looks okay. And, so your your um, issue with it is not functional. Your issue with it is just that it it's priced in a way that most yeah. people that would use it are not likely to use it. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And um, just to give a comparison, I was looking at the the prices. Uh, we are talking about, for instance, let's say you have your own standalone server instance, and then you want to um, um, create a replica of your database. And let's say it's a very small database of only 32 gig. Um, and you want to use a managed instance, the cheapest one, and then the one with eight cores, you would end up paying almost 1,500 US dollars per month mm -hmm. to have that replica there. So I. I think that's too much. And then if we are considering the most expensive one, like an eight core, um, super fast storage, like the, the tier, the business critical tier, and then the memory optimized premium series, uh, you would pay for 5,000 every month for that, that replica. So um, I think the most, in my opinion, the most used scenarios for this one is migrations. It's definitely going yeah, to help. Help We've always had that missing piece for migration, but if you just want to do a one-way trip to managed instance, then it makes sense. Yeah. That's another point, actually. I don't know. This, maybe you caught it on the on the recording. I didn't. Whether since we're considering MI managed instance as a target for HADR, does that mean that if I do have to fail over to managed instance, will I be able to fail back to on-prem SQL? No, uh, from uh, what right? I from so, uh, <laughs> yes, because it's, uh, yes. it's kind of like yeah, it's a, it's an HADR, but if it's a one trip HADR, that really mm -hmm. erodes the value prop as well, right? So, and it yeah. wasn't it wasn't immediately clear to me that failback is also allowed. Well, they, they called bidirectional DR, so. So maybe we yes. might be able, yeah. So maybe yes, but the way they did in the presentation was they took a backup from managing instance and then they restored on premise. Mm -hmm. um, okay. But yeah, I don't know. I'm not right. 100 percent sure. So it was sure done through way. a restore. Yeah. It wasn't done through just like a switch, Failed like back. an alter database, a switch command. Yeah. To just yeah. move okay well, well right now keep everybody keep in mind our comments are of like literally the announcements videos and docs from mm -hmm. ignite as we move towards release i'm sure we're going to get a lot of other info here about the products and clarify all these all these issues and questions that obviously we have now because we yeah. just literally jump in at the announcement to record the podcast. All right. Yeah. Um, and then just to give a link to people that want to follow the news and um, the data exposed under the Microsoft, the YouTube channel, the Microsoft developer uh, YouTube channel, uh, the 
Anna Hoffman is recording a series, what they call the Introduction to SQL 2022. Okay, and then cool. they, they already released the first episode yesterday. So uh, they said that they're going to cover the news through that series of oh, uh, nice. videos. Okay, so, cool. So everybody, if you're interested in following the story of SQL 2022 as it approaches release, just go on your favorite search engine and search for data exposed to Microsoft, and it looks like they're going to be covering it that way as well. All right, that's nice. And um, so the other thing, let's uh, since we talked now about a, a managed instance being a target for SQL 2022 HADR, so let's let's switch the gears over to managed instance. As uh, if, for the audience, if you are not familiar with this, SQL managed instance is Microsoft's version of a full SQL instance managed in the cloud, okay? So in the cloud, Microsoft has Azure SQL database, which is usually handled as a single database model. And then they also have what is called as the managed instance, which mimics a lot more to what you see on-prem, right? You have an instance, which is considered you know, a bucket or a container of databases, and it supports more of the features that are available in SQL Server on-prem as opposed to the Azure SQL database single model of, of databases, right? So I did see there were quite a bit of announcements for managed instance. Maybe you can walk us through your favorites uh, for that. Yeah, they're removing some of the limitations. For instance, now uh, they said that you're going to be able to create linked servers and use Azure authentication for the linked servers. There are two options, that, what they call the pass-through and managed identity logins. So it looks like you're pretty much going to cover all the scenarios that you have on-premise um, in the managed instance as well. Another feature that it finally implemented is distributed transactions across multiple managed instances. This is also supported. Those Both of them are, I think, in the, uh, in the preview yet, but... Uh, uh, it's already available to to try. Um, they also finally implemented the Windows authentication protocol for managed instances. Windows authentication. So, so it's not just Azure AD authentication now. You can actually yeah. hook up your managed instance to an, a real Windows Active Directory. Yeah, it's actually to the Windows, the, the Azure Active, Active Directory, right? I thought they already had Azure AD support. Uh, right. I would have to double check, but is it? Yeah, I'm not sure if. So that's if it says that they are uh, they are supporting Windows authentication, it might it might be that some clients came with a requirement that they were still using, you know, like uh, let's say like a Windows Active Directory um, IaaS uh, yeah. on a mm -hmm. VM or even on-prem replicating, or you know, you extend mm -hmm. your on-prem network to the cloud through an express route. And they want right. to be able to authenticate those managed instances directly to their on-prem AD, or maybe they replicate their on-prem AD to the cloud, not necessarily mm -hmm. to Azure AD, right? So maybe maybe that is where that feature is going. Yeah, yeah, it could be, it could be. And the other big announcement was um, uh, regarding the the new memory memory optimized premium series um, hardware for the managed instances. It's it's pretty much the same Intel processors has a premium, existing premium series. Okay. But uh, they're extending the memory, the, the gig per core 
So the, the existing premium oh, more more is, gigs per core. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's seven. The existing one is seven gig per core, and then they're expanding it to thirteen point six gig per core. Oh, that's um, quite a bit. Yeah, that's almost yeah, double. All right. Uh, almost double. Yeah. Do you and pay the price, almost double? <laughs> no, no, no. I was expecting it, but no. The price is that, for instance, the eight core for the premium series is one point six thousand, and the the new memory optimized is two point uh zero thousand so two thousands to one point six thousand so yeah okay not, no that's not, not bad one. yeah not bad at all i mean you're paying uh, uh what a 20 percent over to get double the amount of ram yeah and i mean exactly. uh, we all know especially uh with uh database engines uh, the more memory you can give it to be able to fit more of your working set in ram i mean it's huge in terms of performance right yeah so yeah. it might definitely yeah. be worth just paying for mm -hmm. it and get rid yeah. of your performance issues right that's not yeah, bad yeah, I agree. all right cool yeah and, and they're also expanding the the storage limits it's now you can go up to 16 terabytes of 16 of terabytes for a managed instance yeah that's yeah. pretty good and i mean most people what was the option before i guess the option before was to go with a single database using a hyperscale right so hyperscale is the other model for single databases that goes all the way to 100 terabytes i believe right but it mm -hmm. wasn't really an instance. So if yeah. you had like a large on-prem instance, you were limited to what, four terabytes was the limit before, I think. Now yeah, we're moving to 16. That's yeah. pretty, pretty beefy. And there's not, I mean, there is definitely people that run that for SQL, but if you are at those ranges, I always start to question if it's really an OLTP system, or maybe you should be archiving your OLTP data and yeah, into an analytics system, right? At that point, yeah. and not run a massive OLTP system where you're not really querying that old data anymore for your OLTP workload, right? Maybe it's time for you to like pay for a cloud data warehouse. I mean, there's great options for that as well, but mm -hmm. uh, but that's good to have the option for people. If you do need it, then 16 terabytes, yeah, that's that's quite a bit for the managed instance. Yeah, All right. yeah, and for those that do need the 16 terabytes, uh, if they want to have a number of what would be the most expensive managed instance, you would have the memory optimized premium series under the business critical service tier 64 V core that would give you a 40,536 US dollars every month. That's right. a lot of. A lot of money through the well, brute you, force you, optimization. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But I mean, if you do need that amount of hardware, I hope your business is doing really well. So yeah, exactly. good luck. All right. Now let's switch gears here. That's the, the last of the 2022 features that we want to highlight. Um, and I'm going to switch over to Luan. For people that are not familiar with Luan, this man is the BI data analytics, big data main guy in Brasilia, Brazil. This is your person if you want to talk about these topics in Brazil. And Luan, uh, let walk us through what's this. Uh, the Synapse link has now been announced for on-prem SQL to Synapse. For people that are not familiar with this as well, Synapse is Microsoft's warehousing big data service in the cloud. What does this mean? What is the Synapse link? What's the use case? What's your thoughts on it? Yeah, first and foremost, it's like I feel excited with the news of SQL Server 2022, because as Fabiano said, we see more and more, I mean, the on-prem becoming 
like a, a huge link between on-prem and Azure, which is a great thing. Also, I think the S3 capability is also a good thing, and I'm expecting to have the GCS um, back. Yeah, yeah we'll see for yeah. well, 2024, <laughs> maybe. Yes. So, I mean, regarding link, I think it's obvious path. So when Microsoft released the Synapse Analytics, they came with this link capability that is pretty much the, the it gives you, it, it, it allows you to connect with different sources and bring the data or make analytics on top of that data. So seeing like SQL Server 2022 just becoming like a link, it's something really natural and really exciting for me because this way we're gonna, I think in my opinion, gonna reduce the friction between customers that are looking forward to migrate or do analytics of their data, considering that they're sitting on-prem. So, so the value proposition here is that you don't have to deploy a classic ETL layer to extract data and copy it to Synapse, right? So the idea yes. is that you will enable your link and then just run queries on Synapse and that's it. Right. Yes, and that's it. Simple as that. And the magic, uh, there's a bunch of people underneath the hood doing some magic. Minutes, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Doing the details, exactly. right? I don't know if they did they announce the architectural internals of the Synapse, no. thing, or is it just no. they announced the feature and that's it? Because I'm I'm really interested to see how this works under the covers, right? Because if we look at the Cosmos Synapse link under the covers, Microsoft has deployed a set of fabric of compute that constantly takes that Cosmos data and then turns it into parquet files and you can query them through Synapse. And you don't have access to the parquet files. You don't have access to this compute layer that they build that is doing this conversion behind the scenes. So I'm wondering if it's doing something similar or I guess we will find out eventually, right? Mm -hmm. Where you have your on-prem SQL 2022 system and then there's gonna be a service somewhere in Azure that's gonna be polling your SQL server maybe your transaction log, extracting all of that, and then sending the records over to Azure, turning them into columnar storage, and then yes. storing them somewhere, and obviously charging you for it. Um, but I, I do see the value prop for the no ETL piece, right? Because yes. it, it accelerates your, your solution, your time to solution, right? Yes, and then reduce the amount of people that you need to do the data engineering piece, and you can be more focused and concentrated on what really matters and all the business side of stuff. So you yeah, you don't have to sure. you don't have to do so much ops monitoring either, right? Because yep. yep. you don't have to be monitoring the job no. that is constantly extracting data and copying it over to your Azure Data Lake storage. You can get rid of that piece because then Microsoft is the one that is going to be managing that piece now to do exactly. the link over to whatever internal storage they're going to have in Azure for this. But this is also a great gateway, right? To, to your other point about how much SQL Server now is tied up to Azure, right? It's obviously a gateway feature to get people to look at Synapse, right? And to, I, I, to do more with Synapse. And yeah. just to just to give you some some comments about the internals of it, I was trying to get some spoilers through the sys messages table and see what was new there based on mm. the existing 19 on-prem. And uh, I found some interesting messages saying like, Synapse link cannot be enabled on the DB with change data capture or transactional replication publishing. So I think behind scenes, they might be using CDC. SB repo comments. 
Yeah. <laughs> okay, so Maybe. so it's saying that the link is not compatible on a on a database that is already being used for CDC. Yes, exactly. exactly. Well, again, this is V1, so we'll we'll see how it actually looks by the time release comes. They'll probably come out with the list of limitations and stuff like that, right? But I mean, it's expected that it won't be just like it works absolutely with everything out of the box, right? Yeah. I also wondering, uh, that's why I figured they probably would do the transaction log approach mm -hmm. because you don't want to put a lot of, um, uh, like a lot of load in a production system, right? By enabling the Synapse link. Otherwise, people are not going to want to use it, right? So most likely, it sounds like they'll be putting the load on reading of the transaction log, right? Yes. That's why I, I'm a true believer that they are sending through logs, immutable logs, appending somewhere on Azure, and then making the queries to search that instead of putting back pressure on SQL Server. Well, they probably, yeah, that's, that's very likely. They'll probably reformat the data once it's in Azure too, right? Because mm -hmm. you're not going to run analytics on the transaction log data, which is just no. not not fit for why not? at all, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Why it's not? Like, well, that's a classic question. <laughs> yeah, but, just go know. operation by operation decoding what happened instead of, yeah. you know, like a columnar format. That's not going to happen. <laughs> so the, uh, the uh, Synapse stories, there's also, so the other big uh, part of the data uh, story of Microsoft in Azure is obviously Synapse. Synapse and Purview, right? So for people mm -hmm. that are not familiar with this, I did mention what Synapse was, but Purview is Microsoft's data cataloging slash data governance service, right? So it's a service that you point to your data sources, whether they're Synapse or they're SQL databases or they are Azure storage, and they are working on enabling more data sources all the time. And the idea is that it's going to catalog your data as well, right? So this is going to be also integrated into 2022. So do you think... Do you think this is a driver for adoption? Do you think this will make people want to use Purview? Or, or have you played with Purview? Like, what are your thoughts on it? In my humble opinion, I think that data lakes are becoming data swamps. I mean, that's inevitable. Data landfill. Uh, somehow, yeah, data landfill. So it becomes like really hard to query and search data properly on data lake. So I think that this piece of data governance that comes into play, it's it's kind of recent. If you think about the spectrum of big data, we had previously the Apache Atlas, which is an open mm. source. And actually, if you look behind the scenes, yeah, Purview <laughs> supports see. the Apache Atlas API, right? You know why? Because actually it was built based yeah, maybe. on the source maybe they code. Took or, they, no. they took Atlas and they added their, their own actually, Azure is, flavors on it. Yeah. If you go to the resource underneath the, 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 the provision of Purview, you're going to see Atlas stuff. So they're just using that to augment the system and make it more broader and better. But the data governance piece is becoming like a hot thing nowadays. So I think it's going to, I mean, my expectation is to see a huge adoption of data governance over the, uh, I mean, on the upcoming years, truly. Uh, yeah, I mean, we saw uh, Amazon deployed uh, their lake formation, which yeah. is, uh, integrates with uh, the Amazon Glue service as well. And it also allows the same kind of similar functionality, right? Cataloging, crawling, uh, access management, and so on. I believe Google Cloud also came out with a similar yeah. product as they well. Bring in, yeah, they bring, they bring in something like called Colibra, 
that they used to have the data catalog, but now they're just augmenting this capability using Colibra. And we have an initiative on open source that is a Mutsen. So those are the, the ones that we use. Yeah, everybody's products. bringing in this, this piece, but it has been a missing piece for quite a while. And um, these data cataloging and crawling solutions on-prem, they have historically been really expensive, right? That's why most people don't even try to deploy them because they're really expensive. You think about vendors like Informatica, Talent D, Calibra, Alation, all these, they're, they're very expensive pieces of software. So I am really happy about this, seeing the cloud providers get in on it, because I think it's a, a very important piece of a mature data platform that has been really expensive for people for a long time. So I'm hoping that we see some competitive pressure to drive also the prices down so that everybody can afford you know, purview or lake formation or whatever it is that they're going to end up deploying. All right. What else do we got in the Synapse space? Uh, we got something really hot and brand called it database templates. Oh, uh, database templates. Okay. What's that? Yeah, that's really sexy and interesting, actually. <laughs> so that, uh, I mean, uh, we may think that this is initiated with Synapse Analytics, but that's not true. Actually, this is something called common data models that Microsoft has published and released like a couple of years ago. And basically, basically, it gives you the capability to create a common data model where you can share among some, some Azure products. So and they're pre-made, right? Power BI, yeah. Power, they baked in pre-made just templates that we can use to have a shared data language across your organization for business and analytical applications. So the templates that we're going to see, which is like without additional cost, is a series of database templates where you can you're going to use instead of the Azure Studio experience is going to be seamless for you. And then you're going to be able to create common data models uh, to have people from different places coming in and understanding the same meaning of the data in one single place. So it will save you the time to have to create your data model from scratch. And I'm assuming they're going to publish over time data models for different industries or different use cases, right? Like I don't know, something about retail, maybe something for manufacturing, healthcare, et cetera, et cetera, right? So that's, exactly. that's the idea. And then save you yeah. the time to have to literally create your data model from scratch, from like, you know, zero tables. Then you can instead just go in and do a database template and start <laughs> working with that. Yeah, and, and, and also... Is this also a driver for Power BI, right? <laughs> the idea would be that Power BI already out of the box support some of these as well? Yeah, and you're going to be able to leverage this not only Synapse, but in any like other services that I mentioned before. Power BI is one of those. So that, that's going to be interesting to see. I mean, the adoption, I'm really looking forward to see customers really using that because that's going to reduce the friction and less the strains for the engineers or analytical people that has to build analytical model, which is kind of cumbersome. Uh, in all the ways that we can think of. So having this pre-configured or templatize it, it's really fantastic. Yeah, yeah, that's an interesting approach and it does help. And what anything that helps productivity on that data engineering side, I think it's, it's a great addition because like most, I, I saw the other day somebody on LinkedIn published this uh, article that said, you don't need a data scientist, you need a data engineer because the vast majority of people, they need to solve their data engineering problems first before they, yeah go out and start hiring data scientists anyway. Yeah. Um, all right, and uh, I think we have one last 
uh, announcement for Synapse is about the integration of the data, Azure Data Explorer. I think that's kind of like, that's a very general name. So let's explain to people, wh what is that? What does it mean? Yeah, that's a good question. So it becomes a time that querying data over the data lake and querying over the wire becomes really troublesome. So Custo, which is the technology designed and provided by Microsoft, is a technology where you bring data in memory and then you can do a query uh, through Custo query language. It's a little bit different. So that's the same thing that you see on Azure Monitor. So Azure Monitor is actually backed by K Custo, which is the data explorer. So Microsoft encapsulated this in a data explorer product. And what they did is that Prior to the announcement, we used to have the capability to link uh, existing Azure Data Explorer to the Azure Synapse Analytics Studio and then do queries, but using, using that specific product. But now it's embedded inside of the engine. So you're going to be able to deploy inside of Synapse Analytics. So Synapse system. is going to have one more compute engine inside. So for everybody keeping tabs at home, when you deploy a Synapse workspace, you're going to have the dedicated SQL pool, which is the formerly known Azure SQL Data Warehouse. You're going to have the SQL serverless pool that only works on file storage right now. And then you're going to have also Spark, obviously. Spark has the big data engine. And now we're all going to have a fourth compute engine inside Synapse if you want to use it called the Azure Data Explorer engine. And this, again, to your point, is used in Azure Monitor because it's optimized for time series, right? It's optimized for like in a scenario where uh, you're doing monitoring or IoT logging and stuff like that, right? That, that's, that's ultimately the goal. Is not an engine for like doing OLTP, obviously. It's, not, it's an engine that is for consuming data and usually based on time series data, right? Totally, yeah, totally. Because in the way that they store data in memory, it's just based in series. So it's way faster to query data um, yeah. that than the other ones. This is interesting too, because I don't know if you remember um, a few months ago, maybe, maybe it was in the spring Ignite that they did the announcement that they were, we were gonna have streams natively in T-SQL inside Synapse. I don't know if you remember this. And I, I was expecting an announcement about that in this Ignite, and I don't think we got anything. And instead we got this Azure Data Explorer announcement. And I'm just wondering if somebody somewhere thought, why are we developing streams inside the dedicated SQL engine if we have already this other engine that is built for time series streaming, and we can just put that inside Synapse instead. Um, but I don't know, I guess we'll have to wait and see if we're gonna have two, because then we might end up with, uh, you know, two features that might look very similar to a lot of people, right? Or we're yeah. doing streaming in one side and then streaming on the other side with the data explorer as well. And so. something that I would like to highlight before we close these announcements, Warner, it's about something really interesting for the Apache Spark ecosystem. So as you yeah, said, yeah, go for it. We, yeah, as I said, we have the capability to spin up Apache Spark engine on top of Synapse and leverage this capability. But now I don't know if you saw a few weeks ago, I think two or three weeks ago, it's really recent that they added the package of Apache Spark 3.1. And that's actually amazing. And let me tell you why. Because prior that used to be 2.4. And 2.4 doesn't have the, <laughs> look this name, Fabiano. 
adaptive query execution. <laughs> oh, yeah, is. yeah. That I saw that. I saw that. Yes, the Spark <laughs> yes. with the adaptive query execution. Yes. yes. And another good thing, with 3.1, it's enabled by default. So you're going to leverage all the capabilities of this you know, engine that pretty much mimics SQL Server. That's the idea, to be intelligent throughout the... Yeah, so in certain points of the execution plan, Spark is going to stop and say, are my yeah. assumptions still correct when I generated the plan or have they deviated and I can regenerate the rest of the plan, right? Exactly. Yeah. And that's, also that's they cool roll too. out and now and also they roll out new beefy machines. So now we have machines with 64 V cores and 432 gigs per node. Per node, so, yes. And then yeah, you can go up node. to what, 200 of those nodes? You can have, yeah, 200 which is going to cost you $1,819 per minute, <laughs> yeah, per hour, actually. per hour. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But it's going to give you like, uh, yeah, but I mean, okay. So same, similar to the comment that I did for Fabiano, if you need that amount of horsepower, yeah, uh, I hope your business is doing really well. <laughs> and there's a reason why you need to crunch that much data. And also keep in mind for people that might be thinking a lot of times people think, when you just say something like a thousand dollars an hour and then people think oh my god that is so expensive but keep in mind these are ephemeral clusters right so you wouldn't run a cluster like this permanently you would run a cluster like this for maybe like one job that is very important and you need that much data to crunch it and maybe it runs for five hours in the whole month and you pay five grand and that's your cost for the month. And again, you're not going to do this if you're a small business, right? But mm -hmm. it's very unlikely that that would be a permanent workload cluster. I mean, maybe it is if you're like, you know, in the Forbes top 100. But for most for most companies, even if you do use a cluster that size, it's most likely something that you run for one job and then you, you don't run it permanently, right? Sure, sure. But that is a lot of horsepower for sure. Well, very interesting stuff for Synapse. I like Synapse as a service in general. I do believe Microsoft still has to do uh, work on the dedicated pool. I would like to see the dedicated pool being more uh, friendly for resource management. I would like to see automatic pause, automatic resume. I think those are big sticking points, um, especially when we start to compare it to Snowflake, for example, which is doing really well in Azure as well. Uh, we've seen a lot of clients have a lot of debate an interest, whether they go with Synapse or whether they go with Snowflake. Obviously, Synapse biggest huge advantage is the amount of integration that Microsoft has built into this product. And I, I, I always say I was very skeptic when they announced it, and I am still always very surprised at how well it actually works. Like if you do, if you do buy into the idea of the Synapse workspace. And you know, you drink the Kool-Aid, you just work from the Synapse workspace, everything set up in the Synapse workspace. It just it flows really well, right? So everything is available when you go to ETL. Your data lake can be referenced just through like very simple uh, relative uh, path commands in SQL. You have your integrated catalog with serverless and the Spark integrated catalog. We now have Delta table support as well. So this is not an Ignite announcement, but we haven't recorded the podcast in a while. And this is something that Microsoft enabled just a couple of months ago, which was Delta table support for the serverless pool in SQL. So, you know, the, the product is, is very compelling, I believe. And it is a hard choice for a lot of people to figure out whether, you know, do we use Snowflake or do we use Synapse when they want to do warehousing 
in Azure, right? So, and that's a good thing, right? People have good choices. So I, I think that's good for the customer in the end. I think it's going to become the one-stop shop for Microsoft Big Data Analytics. That that's my expectation. Uh, let's see. Well, especially now with the with the SQL on-prem integration, right? Yeah. And I'm actually surprised. So the other thing I was going to say when you mentioned that is that I'm surprised that now they announced the on-prem SQL 2022 going to be integrated with the Synapse Link. So how much longer are we going to wait until we get the announcement of the Azure SQL DB Synapse Link? Right, like those are already yeah. in the cloud. If you can do it with the uh, SQLs on-prem, what's stopping you from doing it for all the SQLs in the cloud? And then we can have no ETL analytics for any database that is in the cloud. And again, that to me is very compelling to get people to adopt Synapse, right? And Warner, one thing that they actually mentioned, I'm not sure if that's, that's the solution that you're looking for, is that they're expanding the Polybase usage to use hmm. open row set or external table to create those formats, like the parquet and the delta and the query through the Azure Blob Storage or the S3. Okay. And, um, so maybe that's and, yeah, uh, some of the stuff that it, they're doing behind the yeah. scenes to get ready to enable that as well, right? We see yeah. this sometimes too, where the product starts to support some feature and then suddenly in Azure, it pops up that you can do something that you couldn't do before yeah. because finally they built it into the underlying product, right? Exactly. First. All right. Cool, cool, cool. All right. Well, I think that's all the time we have for today. I want to remind everybody that this list was just what Fabiano, Luana, myself really liked from the show. It's not the whole list. Please do check out the Azure blog if you want to check out the entire list of announcements from Ignite 2021. I want to thank Fabiano and Luan for joining me today. It's been a, a great uh, talk for this morning. And Ignite. 2021 well to me it definitely delivered lots of little goodies and now we start the expectation and the countdown to the sequel 2022 release for everybody that is listening i hope you have a great day if you want leave us a comment leave us a review you can reach out the podcast on any of the major platforms for podcasts out there in the internet and until next time thanks for listening bye 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 Navigating the datascape.